Welcome to the Metamorphosis with Michelle podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Kessel. I'm an integrative health practitioner and certified brain rewiring coach. And on this podcast, I'm going to be diving deep into all things personal growth and development, brain rewiring, health and wellness, and spirituality. Happy Tuesday. Welcome back to this week's episode. I'm so excited to dive into all things hormone health. I know that a lot of women struggle with hormone issues and it's something that should not be overlooked. So this episode's really going to open your eyes to hormones and how to get started on healing them. And before I get into all of the knowledge that Vivian and I share, I just wanted to give you guys a little life update. So something that has been coming up for me a lot recently is really getting in tune with my body and I know I share a lot about body image and all of that good stuff but what I mean by this is really tuning into listening to your body and trying to make decisions from an inner knowing instead of getting into the mind. So what this looks like for me personally is when in a situation or feeling an emotion is letting my body take the lead instead of working through everything in the brain. So if I feel an emotion, letting my body fully express it instead of going into where did this come from and all of those stories, which I'm not going to lie, has not been easy for me, but it's something that I'm actively working on. And I just wanted to share that with all of you to let you know that I'm always learning and I'm always growing and working on things myself. So I wanted to give a little collective update on something that I'm working on because I believe that we are all one and whatever I'm working on is probably something that you might be wanting to address in your life as well. So this is my current reality and what I'm actively making shifts on. And another little thing that I wanted to mention is I am opening up breakthrough calls for those of you that want to work on healing your bloating and emotional eating on a one-on-one level. So this is a free consultation to come up with a strategy to really make sure that you are able to fully heal from your bloating and emotional eating issues. So the link to that will be in the bio and I will also have a link to get on the wait list for the next round of free from emotional eating which will be launching in June. And as always, please connect with me on Instagram. I love getting to know everyone that listens to the show and what your takeaways are. So if you listen to this episode, let myself or Vivian know because we would both be so happy to hear from you. 
And now let's get into this episode. All right, so welcome to another episode of the Metamorphosis with Michelle podcast. I have a lovely guest here today, Vivian Alred, who is a naturopathic nutritional therapist. And after struggling with many of her own health issues, including acne, hair loss, amenorrhea, anxiety, parasites, SIBO, and other complexities from mold illness and Lyme disease, Vivian took hand took her health into her own hands and is now fully thriving. She is someone who works with women and identifies and addresses the root cause of their health symptoms, including acne, hair loss, fatigue, digestive issues, and irregular menstrual cycles. So Vivian is a wealth of knowledge on all things hormones and gut health and all the topics that I love to talk about. And she also has a health podcast called Hormones and Harmony that I was just on. So you can also find that episode. And yeah, I'll have all her info in the show notes, but I'm going to let Vivian introduce herself and give us a little bit of her own background through her words. So go ahead and tell us about yourself. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me, Michelle. And we're chatting again. Happy to talk about all of these favorite subjects of mine. And my health history is pretty extensive, so I will try and keep it as short as possible. But I always used to say that I was really healthy and had no issues up until the age of 18. But when I start to look back now, there was definitely some issues that I just brushed off as being normal. So having nosebleeds all the time, um, getting travel sickness quite often, having some digestive issues and skin issues. So it definitely wasn't perfect, but I had a pretty good upbringing, um, minimal antibiotics, pretty good diet the majority of the time. But what really triggered some issues were um, over-exercising and under-eating, kind of unintentionally like undernourishing myself because I was just trying to eat healthily, but I would cut out all of the junk and not really replace it with any, anything substantial. And my exercise went from a few days a week to like pretty much every day, back-to-back classes um, for like two hours and fueling on a plain chicken salad a lot of the time. So lost weight, felt better um, initially because obviously I cut out the junk food and started eating a little bit better. But then a few months later, started to run into issues. Um, My face broke out in acne and I'd never really had any acne all through high school when my friends were breaking out. And then when their skin cleared after puberty, mine broke out later on. And it was pretty terrible. My hair was falling out, my periods have stopped. And I didn't really care about the period thing because like who wants a period when you're that age and you don't know about the benefits of a healthy menstrual cycle. So it was actually my mum who forced me to go to the doctors after three months because she knew that it wasn't normal. I was more concerned about my face and my hair being an 18 year old girl. And the only solution offered was the birth control pill. Surprise, surprise. The, they said either birth control or see, wait and see what happens didn't give me any advice to not exercise as much. They honestly didn't ask one question about my diet and lifestyle, um, which commonly is the case. So I jumped at the the chance of going on the pill because they said that it would fix pretty much everything. First pill caused major worsening of symptoms. So it's very strong estrogen or estrogen pill, um, Dianet or Diane. And I reacted very badly, developed depression within a few days. 
Um, so again, my mom was forcing me to come off, even though I was trying to push through and told her it's fine, it will get better, but it wasn't. So I then swapped over to another pill called Yasmin, which I stayed on for about two years. And that did help to clear my skin. And I had a regular bleed every month. I, I thought it was a period, but knowing now I know it's just a withdrawal bleed from a medication. So it was really masking things very well. But then I started to develop other issues um, from being on the pill. So started struggling with anxiety, which I'd never had before. Um, multiple food reactions, even to vegetables and things like that. I would get hives um, and I would just get things like headaches. My gut was more sensitive. And it wasn't until I, at age 19, went to work in America at a summer camp um, as a camp counsellor, doing some fitness and things like that. I got very bad food poisoning twice in two weeks. And I think at that point I contracted parasites and that really messed up my gut and um, caused malabsorption and other infections later on. And because of the state that I was in, so I was in um, Pennsylvania and then New York, I believe that I got Lyme disease when I was out there as well. So I was bitten around like 40 to 50 times by a mosquito in an Airbnb in New York City. And there is the belief that Lyme disease is only carried by ticks um, from deer and things like that, but it can actually be any vector um, insect. But I could have well had a, a tick, tick bite as well, being in the, the middle of a forest pretty much for the whole summer. But I never had the bullseye rash or anything like that. And my health just slowly declined from that point. And when I got home, I was just constantly bloated, even drinking water, eating anything. My stomach would be like nine months pregnant. And I started to change my diet because I couldn't tolerate pretty much anything. So I lost a ton of weight and I was like, because I'm quite tall, I'm 5'11". I got down to, I think like nine stone, which um, is probably like 58 kilograms, which is very lean for someone like my build. And doctors were just saying, you're still within normal range. Your BMI is healthy. I told them about the bloating and a gastroenterologist said that everyone bloats after eating. It's normal. It's fine. Um, I brought up things like parasites. They just brushed me off and left me out of the consultation room, unfortunately. So I went to see a nutritional therapist who helped me figure out um, that the pill wasn't doing me any good, that I had all of these infections based on stool testing. I had a ton of deficiencies and thyroid issues and adrenal, like all of the, um, the stuff that goes hand in hand with each other. And yeah, it was just an up and down journey for several years after that, just trying to heal my guts. But I was on this journey of like trying to balance my hormones because I was given a diagnosis of PCOS initially as well, based on my symptoms of missing period, um, hair loss and acne and some elevated androgens on blood testing. So I was fitting the mold for PCOS, but I, um, I was trying to just balance my hormones and trying to heal my gut, but it would have to be like over and over again. I was just kind of doing the same thing and it would work, but then the symptoms would come back. And at that point I'd started training to be a nutritional therapist myself because I was getting no real help. And I, I wanted to go deeper than what my practitioner was going similar to your story. So I decided to train for three years. And with what I learned about that, I um, eventually found out even just like a couple of years ago, cause so it was, it was happening for a few years longer that I was experiencing mold illness. And that was like a real root cause of my symptoms and probably had been for a number of years because I was in my childhood home pretty much. Um, and it was quite an old home. It was built in the 1890s, I think. 
So we'd had known exposure to water damage under the, um, under the basement, which had flooded seemingly around the time that my health started to decline. My parents' health got a little bit worse as well. Never as bad as mine, because it can affect everyone a little bit different. Um, and then the whole Lyme issue, I realized that I had issues with Borrelia, which is the bacteria associated with Lyme disease and some co-infections. So only over the past two years have I known about this stuff. And after working on those things, the real root of the problem, I could keep my hormones in balance. I could keep my gut healthy with minimal effort. So that's my whole thing now, not just managing and suppressing and kind of doing what allopathic or conventional doctors do in just giving you a herb instead of a drug to suppress a symptom. I want to know why are your hormones out of whack in the first place. It's not that you're deficient in DIM or Vitex or Chase Tree or Maca or anything like that. It's that there's something going on and I want to fix that problem rather than just band-aiding the issue. So that's what I do now, help other women do the same. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing your story. That is so powerful. And I think a lot of women are able to relate to that and are struggling in that loop of, oh, I'm taking all these herbs and stuff, but I'm not getting better. And it's like you said, because of that root cause approach. So what was your kind of like big root cause? Is it the mold? Is it the Lyme disease? Or what do you think it was? I think the mold, honestly, um, because of what I've learned over the past few years, I've just been deep into the research. I want to know everything because even throughout my my studies, it was never mentioned at all the whole time. It might have been maybe in the research lecture about sinusitis that's reoccurring or allergies. People can have an allergy to mold, but that's different to what I'm talking about. Mine's um, more of an immune suppression because of toxic mold exposure that's different to the outdoor molds that we all are exposed to. And these are things like stachybotrys and aspergillus, um, ochratoxin. These mycotoxins can be produced by um, nasty types of mold in certain homes. And houses are getting worse these days. So old houses are a risk, but even some of these mod more modern housing uh, houses, just the way that they're built now for kind of eco-friendly or trying to conserve energy, it makes things like airflow a lot, a lot um, less beneficial so the any issues in the indoor it's not getting circulated well enough and um, just some of the building materials that are used just to save money they're not they're not friendly for people like me with um issues with mold which is believed to be one in four people have a genetic susceptibility to not the their immune system doesn't recognize mycotoxins these mold toxins as dangerous so um, for someone else the the rest of the um, 75 percent of people when they are exposed to mycotoxins, their immune system detects them immediately, tags them as being dangerous and are dealt with. In my body, the mycotoxins enter, my immune system doesn't recognize them, and that's why they're allowed to take over and suppress my immune system. In fact, one of the species that I had elevated when I tested my body was called mycophenolic acid, um, and that is actually used as a medication. So a lot of medications can be derived from um, fungus and mold, like penicillin, for example, the antibiotic, but they use this mycophenolic acid after organ transplants to suppress the immune system so that it doesn't reject the organ. So I was breathing in that type of drug every single day. So no wonder I couldn't get rid of my parasites or no wonder I had chronic candida overgrowth because my immune system was just so suppressed from the mold. And my body was so inflamed, my brain was inflamed and that was turning off the pituitary gland 
which sends messages to the ovaries to ovulate. So I wasn't ovulating. Um, my liver was messed up. So I wasn't detoxing estrogen or testosterone properly. So that's where the PCOS symptoms were coming from as well. And Lyme disease is a big factor as well for a lot of people. But I really think that mold is something that needs to be addressed first because there's so many people with chronic Lyme who are just treating with regular or conventional antibiotics or maybe herbal and quite expensive therapies these days. But if they're still living in mold, they're really never going to get better. So sometimes it's the mold actually that's the problem. So I've been focusing on that over the past year or so. And only now am I getting into any Lyme treatment because I didn't want to waste my time and I wanted to see how my health was doing just from the mold detox. I'm pretty much done with that. And I've retested since and the mycotoxins are pretty much gone. I'm out of that old home. I was moving anyway, but that's an important point. You can't, um, you can't continue to live in that house. You need to either remediate or move, unfortunately. So it's quite a big ordeal. But um, I really feel like that was the root of pretty much all of my problems. But I don't want anyone to ever like start there. You don't you don't want to jump in straight to mold and lime. They're usually the, some of the last things that you would investigate unless you have obvious reason to suspect them. But for some people, if they, if they also have PCOS and acne like I did, maybe they just need to remove dairy for a period of time and heal their guts. Or maybe they just need to um, change up their skincare and stop using toxic products and maybe start using more um, like a better skincare routine. It can be as simple as that. But I'm talking to the people who have tried that. They're do, quote, doing all the right things like I was, eating the right diet, exercising, managing their stress. But you can have these physical stresses inside with some of these infections um, that you could be meditating all day long, but still be producing cortisol and adrenaline because of what's going on inside of your body. So yeah, the people who are doing everything, maybe these are some areas to live along with emotional trauma, and toxicity from things like heavy metals and then mold chronic infections they tend to be some of the real root causes of health issues in my opinion yeah absolutely that was really interesting because I know I had mold in my last apartment here in San Diego and I definitely felt really sick like I would wake up my eyes couldn't even open so I had to detox a little bit of that afterwards but I only lived there for a year so I think it was quick for me but how long did you live in the environment where you were susceptible to mold? Um, I think from age four to 25 or 24 until I wow. moved last year. Yeah. So a long time. But people will say, like, if it was the house, why were you not sick the whole time? But there's this whole idea of like a toxicity bucket. Right. Um, I think you're familiar with like the Dr. Stephen Cabral. He's the one who calls it like the rain barrel effect. Mm -hmm. and he has a really good book that describes that exactly. So I probably was reacting to mold the whole time, but it wasn't until I started the medication, the birth control pill, I um, stressed my body out by under eating. I stressed it out by over-exercising. I traveled and picked up infections that just added on top of it until it overflowed. And then I got the symptoms. So um, there's never just one thing causing health issues. I know what I talk about like the root cause all the time, but there's, usual, there's usually more than one thing, like multiple, causative factors um so for me the mold thing but I can't just focus on that I need to like go back in time and fix all of the other problems that have stemmed along the way and for some people um in households it's just them who's sick 
that's what also makes them think it can't be the house because my husband or my partner or my children are fine. And a lot of women struggle with symptoms because of a few things. So women have just a higher toxic burden just overall, sometimes from the types of products that we use and conventional um, makeup and beauty products and things like that. We tend to have higher levels of body fat just naturally, even if we're like normal weight. Um, the men, men tend to have a lower body fat and the body fat holds toxins like mycotoxins. So that can be another factor. We tend to have less blood volume as well. So um, we tend to be more affected by any toxicity in the body. Um, plus women are often more in touch with their bodies as well and are more likely to recognize when something's wrong, whereas a lot of men can kind of just um, get on with it or they don't really know what's right or what's wrong. So if you're in a home and you suspect there might be a problem don't rule it out or dismiss yourself um, or not look into it further because there's other people in the home that are genetically susceptible people so you may be living with someone who doesn't have the genetics but at the end of the day if the house is really bad and the mold is really problematic that that person even without the genetics will ultimately get sick it may just take a lot longer to do so so i describe myself and similar people to me as being like the canaries in the coal mine I'm the one who's reacting obviously and very quickly and at a young age to something that down the line probably everyone would react negatively to so all of these new toxins in the environment and fragrances my body tells me pretty quickly which is a little bit frustrating but I'm also kind of blessed to be able to get this feedback from my body with my skin flaring out flaring up or something like that and hopefully it's going to prevent the risk of me developing like future diseases down the line that can be a lot more serious or life-threatening or incurable. Yeah, absolutely. Mold is so crazy how it's so prevalent in homes these days. Do you know if there's any way that people can kind of take preventative action towards mold and getting that in their bodies? Definitely. So I've learned, I got that I've learned this early on before I get to the stage where I'm like buying a home, like a, a long-term home. I'm just renting at the moment, but I'm going to the habit now of every month checking everywhere. So under the sinks in particular, in the bathrooms, just having a feel around under the material um, and under any products or anything, if there's any dampness or wetness, because you really want to nip things in the bud before they're allowed to get worse. Same with maybe a little bit of a shower leak. You'll be like, oh, it's fine. It's not a problem. I'll deal with it. Never probably. Um, so you want to just fix things now because yes, it's an expense and it's another job to do, but it's really worth it than having to rip out your whole bathroom and get a new one fit in. Because sometimes, and a lot of the time, honestly, um, mold can be invisible. So in my previous home, I, there was an, a visible sign of mold. It was an old house, um, but everything was under the floor because um, there was like a crawl space under the ground. Um, and that's what flooded a few years back. And then it was just never dealt with properly. The, the water was removed and bailed out, but it wasn't dried out properly. So that's within 28 to 48 hours, um, just a recipe for disaster and for mold growth. Um, plus um, you can do things like um, checking behind furniture, letting, like pulling the furniture away from the walls and just letting earth flow circulate, opening windows. Um, you can use air filtration systems, but, I would recommend getting a good one and a lot of them are pretty pricey. So you're probably looking at over a grand for a, a good one. So it needs to be mycotoxin specific. It needs to be like down to a certain particle size. 
Um, it gets a little bit confusing, but there's a ton of good ones in the US, like Er Doctor mm. and IQ Er are some good ones. Um, getting outside as much as possible and just being aware of it, but not freaking yourself out, like scouring the whole house and being kind of hypervigilant formal because that's not going to be helpful. But it's just maintaining your property and checking for leaks and things like that and getting on them um, as soon as as soon as possible. Yeah, those are some great tips because I don't think anyone does most of those things. I know I certainly and I don't. wouldn't unless it <laughs> unless it takes over your life and it's like the main focus. You just want to get better. You will do anything. So I don't oh. blame people for not doing it. But if I could tell my younger self, or if I could give anyone's advice, just be proactive instead of reactive with all aspects of health. Absolutely. I totally agree because that's why it's important to have conversations like this and to learn these things because the earlier you can jump on something, the better versus waiting for something worse to happen. So thank you for sharing that. I wanted to circle back on birth control because I know that this is such an important topic and a lot of women are on birth control and they want to get off of it or they've just recently gone off of it. What is kind of like the main reasoning to get off the pill? And I never want to scare anyone um, with any of the <laughs> subjects I'm talking about. So with the mold thing, it is a big problem and I wish more people were talking about it. So that's why I'm doing what I do. But yeah, I don't want to fear monger people. It's even with the birth control pill, there's a time and a place for medication and totally for conventional drugs and things like that but and um, we're just not taught the risk factors honestly that's my biggest issue is that when I got put on the pill I was sold it to be this like miracle cure-all fix-all for my skin and my hair and it did help my skin and again there's a time to place for things like Roaccutane if mental health is really an issue with chronic acne then sometimes you need the antibiotics for an infection or something but um, when I was given the pill, I wasn't taught about the risks. There might have been a mention of um, a slight incorrect risk, increased risk of blood clots, or I'd heard things like that. But I was thinking, there's no family history of breast cancer. I'm fine. I'll be like one of the lucky ones. And if you look within the, the um, pill box, there's the insert with it's like a 20 page thing in there given all of the side effects but whoever reads that I definitely didn't but even those things don't mention the less life-threatening symptoms or less serious symptoms but more of like the chronic um symptoms that people are dealing with on a daily basis like hair loss or anxiety or IBS and digestive issues because of the pill or the fact that it depletes your B vitamins and your zinc levels the fact that your period might not return for two years after stopping it. So if you're coming off at age 35, wanting kids, and then you're freaking out and stressed because you're feeling like you're on this ticking time bomb with not being able to get pregnant. So it's those things that I wish would be mentioned. And if someone accepts all of that and is totally on board and knows the risks and maybe wants to take a B-complex supplement whilst they're on the pill and maybe a probiotic, that's fine. But I was never taught any of that. So that's my problem. Um, and at a physiological level, I didn't know that when you're on the pill, the, the bleed that you're having isn't a real period. It's just a withdrawal bleed from a medication. So it's not normalizing um, or managing your period at all. You, it's just a, a fake bleed and your brain and ovary communication. 
Um, it's shut down that whole time. So you're not ovulating. That's why it's great at stopping pregnancies, but it can take a while for that connection to reestablish again after stopping the pill, especially if you went on very young. It takes around seven years for that brain and ovary connection to solidify. So if you start your period at age 13, for example, it would take seven years. So you'll be age 20 before you've got a really strong ovulation and, and brain ovary connection going on. So if you go on the pill at age 15, it's, you've only had two of those years. So when you come off the pill, you've got another five years before things potentially normalize again. So that's a really common issue. And a lot of women are going on the pill, not even for contraceptive reasons anymore. They're going on the pill because they have acne, they have terrible period pain, um, or they have her, her loss or her growth on the face. All of those symptoms can be improved with sometimes just some simple nutrition and dietary change and supplements. And people are taught that, especially in like sex education at school that we can get pregnant any day of the month, which is also not true. And it's just ridiculous that we're taught that because some people are taking the pill every single day and suffering with the side effects of the pill um, and not knowing that they're actually only the female body is only able to get pregnant um, around like five to seven days max every single month. It's actually the, the female body um, in itself ovulation happens from 24 to 48 hours but it's the sperm that can live within the body that extends that window a little bit longer so if I knew that then um, and I knew that there was different options than going on the pill I would have totally done that so I don't regret my decision because it's taught me an awful lot about hormones and how amazing the menstrual cycle is I used to hate having a period but when I stopped the pill I didn't have one for two years and um, probably because of that that brain and over connection, but also because I'd lost a ton of weight. Um, my body was like very deficient. I had a lot of gut infections. So fertility in my body's opinion, wasn't a top priority at that moment in time. So it was like, we'll deal with that later. Let's not get her pregnant at the moment because um, she can't even like fuel her own body at the moment. So that's what can happen. Um, and ovulation really is the star of the show. So when you're on the pill, you're not able to experience the amazing like fluctuations of the female hormones and the different cycles that we have. And um, I know you're into like cycle thinking as well. So when I started to learn that there was actually different things going on at different times of the month, I was like, what is this? We've not been taught anything like this. I thought there was just a period once a month lasted a few days and then it just came back again. But you know, there's all of this amazing stuff, but when you're on the pill, um, ultimately you can't really benefit from that. Um, there's a big increased risk of things like anxiety and depression. Sometimes people don't connect the two because they may be starting the pill when they're 16, but don't develop anxiety until they're 18. But it, it can be because of the pill a lot of the time, but it can sometimes be delayed. So they start to think maybe it's just their personality. Maybe there's something wrong with them. And they get stuck on medication for several years afterwards, not knowing that it's actually this pill that they're taking on a daily basis that's causing it. Um, it's probably because of the effects that the pill has on the gut that's and the cause. That's where a lot of the neurotransmitters or brain chemicals are actually made, like serotonin, 90% is made in the digestive tract. And the pill is believed to have low-dose antibiotic-like effects. Um, and also the, the effect that it has on nutrient levels, like the B vitamins, zinc, um, etc that can affect the way that our brain functions and um, a lot of people once they stop the pill if they fall pregnant pretty quickly afterwards that can not be great because then you can go into pregnancy nutrient deficient 
um, and that can affect the child either during pregnancy or a miscarriage risk or just their health in the long run as well. So I always tell people, even if you don't want kids now, try and give yourself at least a year, ideally two off the pill in the future um, and prep your body for pregnancy because people are used to prepping for a wedding or a big birthday celebration for like two years beforehand. But then when they want to get pregnant, they want to get pregnant right now and they don't even put as much thought into it. So yeah, time and a place for the pill, but know the risks. And if you accept to accept them, that's fine. There are things that you can do to work around it. But if you don't want to be on the pill and don't want to get pregnant, that's fine. You can still use things like um, sometimes people choose the copper coil, which isn't as bad as the hormonal IUD, but it still has some risks. Uh, so it's not suitable for everyone. But honestly, fertility awareness method is pretty amazing. And it's what people have used for hundreds, if not thousands of years where you, you just track your, your cycle and your temperature and cervical mucus, find out when you're ovulating, everyone's a little bit individual, but usually like mid-cycle, day 14 to day 18 for most women. And then you would use barrier protection or abstain during that time. And um, you don't have to kind of put these synthetic hormones into your body on a daily basis. Yeah, thank you for shedding light on this topic. I think like the moment I found out that you could only get pregnant during five days of the cycle was in my, <laughs> like, yeah, whoa. a few years ago, to be honest. Your brain exploded. Yeah. And I had a very similar story of getting on the pill really early on at like 15, 16, not for sexual reasons, for like some acne, which wasn't even that bad. And just mm -hmm. like mild cramps that I didn't want. And like, you know, at that age, I'm like, I don't want a period. That sounds cool. And then I suffered with like those two years of no periods. So mm -hmm. totally And understand. I was only on the pill for two years. Which it felt like a lifetime and it, my health, it massively affected my health for years after. Yeah. But I have some people who are on it like from when they get the period to they come off to have children, but right up until menopause. And then they just go straight onto HRT. So they've never wow. even got to experience the natural hormones. That's pretty wild. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what are kind of the benefits of experiencing your natural hormones and getting into that female rhythm? We can really use our hormones as like a superpower. So most people feel controlled by their menstrual cycle and they try to time holidays or vacations away from when the period's due or they turn down invitations to like dinners and parties because they think the period's going to come. So the period like really rules their life. That's not a good sign. That shouldn't be the case. If you are experiencing terrible periods and PMS, then that's a sign of an imbalance. It's common, but it's not normal. The period should come and go. Be um, Energy might be a little bit lower, might be a little bit of discomfort, but you shouldn't feel like, I have some people say they feel like a different person two weeks out of the month. Um, that's definitely an imbalance. Something's going on there that needs to be addressed. So don't suffer with those symptoms just because you think, they're normal and all of your friends have issues um, or maybe your parents, your mum's told you that like the period is the monthly curse and we've just been taught a society and it's been ingrained in us that it should be this terrible time of the month. And I think that fuels the issue as well, that whole like limit and um, self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, but that's a bit of a tangent. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's true though. It's true yeah. though. I feel very passionate if you can't tell. About I love subjects. it. <laughs> so knowing your cycle. So I'll, if it helps, I'll just go through like the main phases of the cycle. Yeah. So we'll start with what most people know and recognize and only think of, which is the menstrual phase. 
which is when you're bleeding. So they should have, they should be maybe like one to five days on average, uh, three to five days on average, sorry, and shouldn't be too heavy, um, pretty much pain-free. And it shouldn't mean that you have to take time off work or take painkillers. That's a sign that something um, imbalance is happening. Usually it's due to um, something called estrogen dominance or estrogen dominance, which can be very high estrogen levels. If you've been on the pill or if you've got ex excess body weight, some things like that, they can cause you to have directly high levels. But most women I find have normal to high levels of estrogen. It's just that the progesterone levels are lower. They should be, um, you should be estrogen dominant in the first part of the cycle, then progesterone dominant in the second half. So most of the hormonal symptoms come from um, that imbalance between the two. And then once the period has started, so I describe that as being like winter, it's a time where the hormones are at the lowest point and things are a little bit cold energetically in the body. So like nice, lots of nice warming foods and rest, self-care is great during that time. But once the body knows that it's not pregnant that month, because the uterine line is shed, there's been no egg um, fertilized, then the whole cycle starts again. So the brain starts producing FSH, estrogen levels start to rise again, the egg starts to kind of mature, and that's known as the follicular phase. And um, this can be up until ovulation, so maybe a couple of weeks. And then ovulation, that really is like the main star of the show in terms of a healthy menstrual cycle. When you're on the pill, this isn't happening, you're not ovulating, and that's why it works so well. Ovulation is like summer, um, so follicular spring, and now we're in summer. Hormones are at the highest point. Symptoms can happen here um, because some people's hormones spike a little bit too high, particularly the androgen, which is the male hormones, testosterone, so they might get some breakouts during this time. Um, or it could be that the hormones are spiking, which is natural, but the liver can't keep up with the extra work. So it may be that they require additional liver support during that time. But that's when the egg is released and that's the time where you're fertile. So things like cervical mucus might change. It might become more um, of a raw egg white consistency. So clear, stretchy, slippery, and that's designed to kind of capture sperm in the fallopian tube and keep it there until the egg drops and potentially there's fertilization that happens. Um, but this is like a 24 hour to 48 hour period. And then after that, you go into the luteal phase. So the, when the egg is released from the, um, the ovary, what's left behind becomes a temporary gland called the corpus luteum. And this produce, produces and secretes progesterone, which is um, a pro-pregnancy hormone, but it's also really important even if you don't want kids now or ever. It's anti-inflammatory. It's anti-estrogenic, um, so it keeps that estrogen in check, helps with stress and anxiety and sleep, all of the amazing things. So it's my favorite female hormone but during that luteal phase the body doesn't know if it's pregnant or not so you, your body becomes a little bit more sensitive to stress it becomes a little bit more insulin resistant so that's the time when you want to kind of dial back a little bit on the exercise and do some more, more restorative um, forms like yoga pilates and walking as opposed to like stressful hit boot camp cardio type um, classes and because you come become a little bit more insulin resistant because if you were pregnant, then your blood sugar would need to divert and prioritize the baby a little bit more. So your cells become a little bit resistant to glucose. That's why sometimes sugar craving and binge eating and um, overeating can happen. And that's when there's an extreme level of this. 
Um, and yeah, during the luteal phase, this is like autumn. So things are kind of dying down a little bit. It's becoming a little bit quieter. You're either pregnant at this time or you're not. And if you're not, um, up to usually 10 to 14 days of this progesterone production, it starts to taper off. And then the body will realize it's not pregnant. Hormones will drop and that triggers the bleed. And then it happens all over again, every single month up until menopause. So when you know this stuff, you can live your life. You don't have to do it to the T every single day, but I just try to like do the best that I can. Um, and when you run your own business, it's a little bit easier than someone who works at nine to five. But for example, if I've got um, a podcast coming up like now, I will try and schedule um, interviews and things like that. Or if I do any talks or seminars, I will try to schedule them around ovulation because that's where my energy is going to be the best and more communicative. Um, whereas if um, I need some downtime, then I will schedule that when I'm on my period because that's the time where I'm not feeling as kind of sociable and I just want to chill and relax. So you can eat certain foods at certain times as well. There's a lot of information about it and I have a guide on my website um, on the free download section talking a little bit more about all of these phases um, if anyone's interested. But it's really amazing when you know this stuff and honestly, I wish every woman knew it. Um, but there's probably people out there like shaking their head and hating me right now because they're like, I feel terrible all month long. But just know that that's not normal and you can get to a point where you can experience and actually enjoy your menstrual cycle because sometimes when you like you don't know what you have until you lose it when I lost my period that's all I could think about every single day my goal was to get my period back because I'd never felt less feminine and it was a sign that my body wasn't healthy because it wasn't prioritizing having um, a cycle and it was just a sign that my body wasn't working optimally so if you are struggling with amenorrhea which is missing periods definitely figure out why that is um, and try and get it back as, as soon as possible because these hormones aren't just for pregnancy, they're for your mood, your bone health, your immune system, and, and just your overall vitality. So you want to make sure that you're thriving. Yeah, that was perfectly described. And I love that you mentioned that the hormones are more than just like for pregnancy mm -hmm. and for all of that, they really are a telltale sign of how your body's health is doing. So I know that like low progesterone is probably like the most common thing. Is that something that you would agree on? And if so, yes. what are your kind of like easiest top tips you would give to someone who suspects they have low progesterone? Mm -hmm. So yeah, a lot of people do have low progesterone, but again, they might be producing progesterone. So they, it's important to know if you are ovulating or not. That's step number one, because you can have a period every month or have a period, but not ovulate. So that's still not healthy. But if you ovulate, you will have a period or you will be pregnant. Like it has to be um, like for a healthy cycle. The ovulation is the start of the show. So in order to test ovulation, you can do things like basal body temperature tracking, or you can um, do a blood test or a urine test um, in the lead up to your period. So if your period is pretty regular, maybe five to seven days before, or some people get the cervical mucus production, or they just feel like they're ovulating with little, um, little cramps in the ovaries or the lower pelvis, or sometimes sex drive, or the breast hurts a little bit um, more. Um, and then you can test a little bit after that and just see if you have ovulated, but that would only confirm ovulation, not predict. Um, but if you're having a regular menstrual cycle, like 28 to 32 days around that time, um, and it's every month, then you probably are ovulating. But a lot of women, 
it's just a weak ovulation and they're not producing progesterone optimally. So that can come back to the health of the egg in the first place. Things like mold exposure can damage eggs as can environmental toxins and heavy metals and cigarette smoking and stress and trauma deficiencies. So improving the egg health, but that can take a while actually to influence your hormones. Um, it will take around hundred days or three months. So if you start implementing some of these things now, you might not even see any real changes until three months time. So that can be a little bit frustrating for some people because I have clients who feel like they're eating better than they've ever done in their life, but they have the worst period ever. But then I ask them, what were you up to like three months ago? How was your health? And they're like, oh yeah, I was really sick. I had coronavirus. I was on vacation and drinking every single night. Um, so yeah, always always think back and um, your hormones are on a bit of a delay. So what was the question? <laughs> oh yeah, no worries. I like this tangent, but it was just... <laughs> top tips for someone who suspects yes. they have low, low progesterone. progesterone yeah okay yeah so it's talking about how to identify if you're actually ovulating because that's um that's like the main thing that's where progesterone comes from from the corpus luteum and stress i know it's like classically said but stress is like the thing that lowers progesterone levels people and i was taught this as well at nutrition school that um cortisol kind of steals from progesterone that's not actually true it doesn't actually steal a hormone it's just that when you're stressed your brain doesn't think ovulation is necessary so it's right. more of a brain thing than actually a physically stealing away from um, progesterone levels but it is true that high cortisol and stress depletes your progesterone but it's from a bit of a different angle so it's more of like a protective mechanism from your body that's um as i spoke about before it doesn't think it's the right time so it will hold off if the environment isn't as good as it can be it's never going to be perfect so stress management is number one it's like the most important thing but when I talk about that it's not just about meditation and like deep breathing and those types of things I'm talking about physical stresses so a big one with hormone health is blood sugar irregularities so if you're not balancing your meals properly if you're not eating um soon like um, often enough but you're fasting a lot of women these days are doing bulletproof coffees and fasting and or not eating enough just overall um, or they're not eating enough protein um, or they're eating too little or too many carbohydrates it's really individual to the person but that can throw off your blood sugar levels uh, even if you're eating like a healthy diet a lot of people still have imbalances because it's not just about carbs or food even with blood sugar it comes back to sleep um, exercise muscle mass stress levels, um, sometimes medication, mineral imbalances, they can all affect your insulin sensitivity and your blood glucose. So managing your blood sugar is number one. If you've got some sort of physical um, imbalance, so an infection in your gut, so if you've got parasites, I have some people who have parasite infections and that's affecting the hormones. One, because of nutrient deficiencies and the fact that they're not actually absorbing and benefiting from the food but also because the body senses danger, like there's some infection in the body, something's wrong, environment isn't perfect. So the brain will think not this month, it's not right. Um, there's some sort of like inflammation going on in the body. So let's hold off pregnancy. Back in the day, like caveman times, it used to be a life-threatening stress as well, like a saber-toothed tiger, um, a famine. But now it could just be that you've not eaten for six hours and the body thinks there's no food, like we're going to starve because the female body in particular is very sensitive to stress. 
um, and famine and things like that. And it needs to be safe and secure, particularly when it comes to fertility and pregnancy. So stress management, and that needs to be um, both the physical and emotional things. Um, and then there are certain things like, these are more like Band-Aid solutions, that's why I'm not going to those first. And um, things like vitamin C or vitamin C has been shown to help. Um, I prefer to get it from like a whole food source as opposed to an ascorbic acid. And also things like Vitex or Chase Tree Berry can have been shown to increase luteinizing hormone, which can Im improve ovulation and progesterone production. But you can see, and I said at the beginning, if you're just doing that, if you're just supplementing with those two things, but you're not dealing with the stresses and all of these other problems, then you're kind of just doing what conventional um, medicine does. And it's maybe not, it doesn't come with a whole list of side effects like the birth control pill, but as soon as you stop taking them, it's, it's probably just going to come back again. And it's really not addressing the root of the problem, which is my goal. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with all of that. I feel like it's so common where people are like, oh, I'm just going to take these herbs mm -hmm. that are really just masking the symptom mm -hmm. and aren't actually healing it. And then they stop taking the herbs and yeah. everything's back at square one. <laughs> yeah. And they can be really expensive. And I had the same thing. I was taking these expensive liquid tinctures that tasted terrible and they would help. But as soon as I stopped taking them, my issues would come back. So um, there's no doubt that plants can be powerful. And sometimes these herbal blends can address the root cause because sometimes they might have antimicrobial like wormwood or garlic in there, or they might contain ginseng, which strengthens the adrenals if there's been an issue with like cortisol and adrenal problems. So some of them can address the root cause, but it's really not a holistic approach. Yeah, absolutely. As far as like the gut and hormone connection, what do you think of like, how do those come into play and are connected? The hormones and menstrual cycle will never be fully optimal if the gut is imbalanced. So it comes back down to a few things. So um, nutrient deficiencies. So if you're eating the perfect diet, amazing diet, but you're not even absorbing it, then you don't have the raw materials. You don't have the cholesterol and the amino acids to make every cell and every hormone of the body. People think that your body just like creates new cells and hormones out of thin air, but it comes from the food that we eat. So even you might be intaking it, some people aren't intaking enough or the right types or healthy versions of cholesterol or um, not great versions of amino acids or the correct balance. Um, but some people are, and they're still not even digesting and absorbing it. So that's probably number one, the malabsorption. But then the other thing is the whole stress and inflammation caused by some of these infections that can live within the gut, like SIBO, small intestine bacterial overgrowth, parasites, H. pylori, candida are probably the main ones. They stress the body, they cause leaky gut um, or intestinal permeability, which sets off this immune cascade um, and just a ton of inflammation in the body, which can spread systemically. And then it's the brain that thinks something's wrong. I'm not safe. Let's not have a baby or let's not produce progesterone or not. Let, let's not give her clear skin and a pain-free cycle because that's not important. Right. She can survive with a face full of acne and menstrual cramps but she can't survive if her liver's inflamed or her gut is chronically inflamed and infected so it's all about priorities for your body yeah absolutely I feel like my clients who had gut health issues also had hormone issues it was never like one or the other mm -hmm. it's always hand in hand and it's so important to address both 
And you so, might not have any digestive symptoms. Sometimes right. the people who come to me for terrible endometriosis and infertility, they they might not feel like feel like they have any digestive issues sometimes because they've gotten used to the bloating, but sometimes they honestly don't have any problems digestively. They're going to the bathroom every day, they don't bloat, they feel fine after eating. But um, sometimes they have the worst gut health. I do stool tests and they're like the worst infections and like multiple different imbalances. So yeah, don't rule out gut issues, even if your um, if your gut seems fine, because it doesn't have to be the case. You can have ex- they're called um, extra gastrointestinal symptoms. So some, sometimes it's acne, hair loss, rosacea joint pain, fibromyalgia, anxiety, that can stem from your gut. So definitely if you have digestive symptoms, it's a given that that's contributing, but even if not, it's something to consider. Yeah. Do you see a pattern in the type of gut issues that affect those hormones? Like let's say someone has endometriosis. Is there like a certain common gut pattern that you see? Yeah. Um, good question. So a common one is H. pylori, which is mm-hmm. a bacteria that lives in the stomach. That can be highly linked to um, thyroid issues, particularly Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Same with parasites. Uh, well, when, when you have H. pylori, then parasites can go hand in hand. I feel like everyone has yeah. parasites. I know. <laughs> the, but even if a stool test comes back negative, right. you've probably still got parasites because mm-hmm. they're such a huge problem. Um, so yeah, the H. pylori and thyroid can go hand in hand. Um, what else? Candida um, probably is linked to, so I'm kind of just thinking of clients, it can cause a lot of sugar cravings and blood sugar issues, and that can cause issues with estrogen dominance and sometimes PCOS. And people know if they have PCOS, the blood sugar control and um, managing insulin spikes is really important. But if you've got a chronic candida infection, um, then that's going to make it very difficult. So it's not that candida causes PCOS, Mm -hmm. it's just that, they can be intimately connected. I really feel like mold was some mycotoxins. It's a little bit of a different, it's not really a gut infection, but mycotoxins can um, contribute to things like endometriosis and PCOS I found because some of them are estrogenic. So these, these things that you're breathing in can promote excess estrogen within the body, but it's not the healthy types. Um, and what's another one? Um, sometimes on a stool test, and when you have things like SIBO, it increases recirculation of estrogen. So there's a marker on a stool test that I use called beta-glucuronidase. And a lot of people have very elevated levels of that. And that causes them to, rather than excrete estrogen once it's been used, like it should be because it's considered a toxin, once it's been used for its daily functions, the body needs to get rid of it. But when you have bacterial overgrowth, particularly these um, bad types of bacteria, that process doesn't happen. And when that estrogen gets the bowels ready to leave, the bacteria get at the estrogen and allow it to get back into the body and recirculate. So I would say SIBO is um, potentially linked to estrogen dominance as well. And then the conditions like heavy periods, um, there's a big connection between low stomach acid, SIBO and acne and rosacea. So there's just a few examples. Wow, that's really fascinating. Mm -hmm. I didn't know about those. So that's always interesting to learn. Mm So I have a question on PCOS. I feel like so many women these days say they have PCOS. Do you think it's overdiagnosed and actually this many women have it or is that just thrown around? Yeah, I find it's because I initially started specializing in PCOS because I thought that that was like the 
answer to everything. It was just that I had PCOS, but that's actually more of a symptom of something deeper. Same with PMS, PMDD, endo. They're all symptoms of something else, so keep digging. But I find that it can either be very overlooked and underdiagnosed in some cases. There's some women who um, they've been to doctors and specialists, um, they're at fertility treatment clinics, and no one's ever brought up PCOS to them. And um, they have they look like someone classically with PCOS. So it's just crazy that it can still be that overlooked. But then there's a lot, I think it's more common that it's overdiagnosed these days, especially in older women. So women in the 30s, after they come off the pill, a lot of women can go through a temporary um, hormone imbalance just as the bodies are adjusting after being on the pill for several years. Um, the body starts producing more androgens because the pill suppresses that and it suppresses that brain to overconnection. So when you come off it, the body is like, oh my God, I've been suppressed for so long. Let me just start pumping out all of this testosterone and just start kind of getting used to cycling again. And because the period can go missing for um, a few months or sometimes years, those are some of the um, diagnosis reasons to diagnose PCOS. So maybe the acne has start, the skin started breaking out maybe the hair started falling out because the hormones are changing and maybe they have gained a little bit of weight because the body has started to kind of bounce back from being on the pill. Sometimes that can happen and they're not cycling. So then they've got like four things showing the doctor that they have PCOS, but it's just a temporary thing. So so many women who get diagnosed and then get sent down the line of um, fertility drugs and IVF and they actually don't, and get put on metformin. They actually don't have PCOS. Um, if you do have PCOS, it's more likely to show earlier on in life. It's not impossible for it to start later, but most likely symptoms start around puberty um, with things like acne during that time and irregular cycles from the get-go. But if you've had perfect periods initially and then just went on the pill for other reasons, then you probably don't have true PCOS. Um, you've probably just got a temporary hormone imbalance. Um, but yeah, there's other conditions like hypothyroidism that can look very similar um, a lot, there's a lot of crossover between the two because having a, a sluggish thyroid can also cause you to not ovulate and have her growth or her loss um, and um, weight gain and things like that. A condition called hypothalamic amenorrhea where someone's lost their period because of stress. So I think I actually potentially had that alongside PCOS um, early on with over-exercising, under-eating. A lot of those women are normal to, normal to underweight but there are people who um, have PCOS. People always think that they have to be overweight or obese, but there's actually like lean PCOS as well. So I would say most people are overdiagnosed. And to me, I'm not massively concerned anymore about labels because at the end of the day, well, I'm not a doctor anyway, so I can't diagnose. Right. And people come to me with like a list of like, I have this disease and this condition, like a page long of notes but I tell them like it's obviously interesting and I'm going to take into consideration but I want to know what person has the disease rather than what disease has the person because my goal is to just address the whole body anyway and just get the body working better and sometimes these seemingly random and separate symptoms can just clear up when you stabilize the blood sugar and fix the gut so I always start there and then there might be something that we need to troubleshoot a little bit later. But a lot of the time, that's not even necessary. The body just starts working and it can heal on its own when you remove the roadblocks and the stresses and add in what it needs in terms of nutrients or um, stress management practice, more sleep, all of that. Um, yeah, the body can heal. 
Right. It's so powerful how the body can heal when given the right environment to Mm -hmm. heal in. And I love that you said everything's so connected because it's so true. You can be diagnosed with X, Y, and Z, but it's really just one main thing. So you mentioned you start with the gut and blood sugar. What are your top three blood sugar healing tips? Mm -hmm. So um, a lot of people under eat protein, I find. Um, And they might be eating. So I tell people to have a protein rich breakfast. I honestly believe breakfast is the most important meal of the day because it sets up your blood sugar for the rest of the day. So if you don't eat breakfast or you eat an imbalanced meal, you might feel fine in the morning because a lot of people don't have an appetite first thing or they feel fine. They get a little bit of energy rush from um, maybe the bagel that they're eating. But then it's later on in the afternoon at 3 to 4 p.m. or when they go to bed at night that they get some issues in terms of uh, a crash of energy, um, a sugar craving during that time, or they can't get to sleep or their sleep's messed up. They're waking to go to the bathroom multiple times. That can actually be due to the breakfast or lack thereof first thing in the morning. So don't just focus on how you're feeling now. Focus on the rest of the day um, and how you're doing. So starting your day with breakfast and every meal aiming to have like 20 to 30 grams of protein so that doesn't mean because sometimes people get mixed up with like grams like weight of a chicken breast I don't mean that I mean the amount of protein within the chicken or eggs or whatever they're having but sometimes I tell people to eat eggs for breakfast and they'll literally have like one egg and that's not enough protein so that's like seven grams whereas we want like 20 to 30 grams per meal um, so sometimes tracking for a few days can be useful, but you need to be careful because some people get a little bit obsessed with that. And I've definitely been there as well. So sometimes just, um, doing it for two full days and then seeing what you're actually reaching. Cause some people eat a lot of food, but they don't get enough calories in and people are surprised that they're only eating like 1400 calories, even though they're eating all of these big meals regularly. So it's worth doing a little bit of an experiment, but then just deleting the app and be more intuitive. Um, I, I'm not a fan of like very frequent eating unless there's a specific reason for that. So I'm not into snacking much. And I believe that um, we should be able to have like three meals a day and be able to survive in between without like feeling that we're going to die or pass out uh, from exhaustion or low blood sugar. But sometimes it's necessary to kind of work towards three meals a day and it needs to be a slower process. I wouldn't go longer than probably six hours without food um, because that can, again, drop your blood sugar, stress the body. The body feels like it's in a famine, even though you obviously know that it's not. Um, the, The physiological response is still the same. And just cleaning up the diet overall, there's a lot of um, inflammatory oils that can affect blood sugar and sweeteners that maybe don't have any calories in there or they say that they're safe for diabetics and things, but the way that they interfere with your gut bacteria, that can actually cause insulin resistance and um, yeah, mess with the gut bacteria and, and fuel things like candida overgrowth. So just clean up your diet, whole foods as much as possible, minimally processed, minimally, minimally packaged, cutting out sodas and sweets and candies and all of that, obviously, like the simple boring stuff. But um, even some of these like natural, gluten-free, not natural, but like seemingly healthier gluten-free products and um, new companies that are coming out, a lot of them are just still full of crap, honestly, um, and just as bad as the original, but just because they're gluten-free, people assume that they're healthier, so don't fall for that marketing scam either. Yeah, totally. I think that's something so many people fall for, and I always like to tell people, 
look at the ingredients mm-hmm. of what you're eating. And if you don't know what it is, your body doesn't know either. So mm-hmm. even if it says like whatever fancy flour, there's probably some weird chemical added to that as well. Mm-hmm. Well, there's like 20 ingredients. I always say like a minimal ingredients list, an apple and a steak doesn't have an ingredients list. Exactly. It just is ingredients. So that as much as possible, but also not becoming like too perfectionist and too strict about it because that that stress can increase your blood sugar as well. Totally. Those are such good tips. So I think the final question I want to ask you is what is just like one thing to do every day for balancing your hormones? Mm -hmm. Um, I would say pay attention to your light exposure. Um, As humans, but particularly as women, we should be very in sync with the the um, earth and nature but now we're not connected at all and it's really affecting our health in many different ways so I'm really big into circadian rhythm and body clock um, particularly when someone's struggling with hormone imbalances and when people aren't on the pill and they're healthy and cycling naturally a lot of women tend to cycle together or if you've ever lived with like a group of women um, or you've got sisters or your mum and um, you tend to all kind of sync up together and that's just a, a, a sign that um things like the circadian rhythm and body clocks can be playing a role so now we're all indoors all of the time under artificial lighting staring at screens all day long not going to bed because we're watching netflix at 11 p.m and that light is that blue light is still turning our brain it's three o'clock in the afternoon and no wonder there's a lot of sleep problems but there's some people who they can fall asleep, but they're still not getting into the deep phases of sleep. So you might have your eyes closed and be out for eight hours, but you're probably not in that deep um, restorative phase and no wonder you wake up tired or your cycle is out of whack. So my tips would be um, first thing in the morning, if possible, get sunlight into your eyes as quickly as possible. The ideal would be to just get outside for a quick walk. Um, but it could just be that you open up your curtains and blinds and open your window. It's best not through glass because the glass can filter the UV and without glasses as well or contacts. A lot of those things have UV filters in, therefore you're not benefiting from the full um, light hitting the, um, the retina. And throughout the day, have like mini stop points just for a nice break at work and like a nice stress management practice. Just stand outside or go for a quick walk around at multiple points throughout the days, maybe after lunch, mid-afternoon, especially if you get that 3 to 4 p.m. slump, that's a sign that you need some sunlight and I can guarantee you're going to feel better than um, having a coffee, just getting out and getting the sunlight in your eyes. And then in the evening, you want to do the opposite. You want to mimic the sunset indoors. So in winter, especially in the UK, the sun sets at like 4 p.m. So you want to kind of mimic that and not have so many room lights on. And I'm a big fan of blue light blocking glasses. I use the brand Blue Box and they just pop them on while you're making your dinner, while you're doing your household jobs or finishing off a bit bit of work. Um, Because obviously we can't just stop working at that time and go to bed. Um, But we can just continue, but do something that promotes our health at the same time. Um, and obviously in summer, it's going to be a little bit later. The sunsets are maybe 9, 10 p.m. So just following the rhythms of nature. So that's one of my favorite tips because that's not just going to affect your hormones and your menstrual cycle, but also your immune system. Um, it affects your energy levels, obviously, your adrenals, your mitochondria, the, the red light from the sun. People are into like red light therapy and infrared saunas these days. The sun is like a natural infrared sauna. So getting out in the sun, 
you get your vitamin D, um, go for a nice walk, get out in nature, so just reconnecting to our, our roots, what our DNA expects from us. I love that tip so much. It's so simple, yet so overlooked, and it's free. Just yeah. step outside. You don't mm-hmm. need to go buy any supplement for this one. So. Exactly. Yeah, people are supplementing with vitamin D and, again, doing the red light therapies that cost like thousands of dollars and they could just get it daily from the sun with more benefits than just one thing. Exactly. Getting back to nature, step one. Step two, buy everything else. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm all for the other products as well and the whole like biohacking thing. So I, um, um, I can't speak too badly about them, but I'm doing like the basics as well. Totally. Yeah. We can't forget about the basics. (laughs) Agreed. So I think that this episode was super valuable. If you implement these tips, you might just be able to balance your hormones. (laughs) And if you, and if not, and you still want help and information, where can everyone connect with you, find you, all that stuff? Of course. So my um, Instagram is probably the best place. It's Viva Natural Health. So the IVA, natural health, all one word. Um, I have lots of highlights on there with some education and more on kind of how I stay hormonally healthy. My website is vivanaturalhealth.co.uk. There's a page on there as well with a lot of free downloads. So on like cycle syncing that we spoke about earlier, tips on gut health, tips on root causes of acne. So there's probably going to be something on there to benefit you, like sleep hygiene tips if you're struggling with sleep. Um, My podcast is Hormones in Harmony, which you've been on as well. So you can go and listen to Michelle's episode. And yeah, I work with clients online, on Zoom, even before um, the whole pandemic changed the world. Um, I work with clients worldwide. So I always say, if you, as long as you've got internet access and you speak English um, <laughs> and we can communicate, that totally works fine. And um, I offer a free enrollment call if anyone's got any questions or is thinking about working with a practitioner and just wants a little bit more information first, um, they can sign up for that as well on my website. Awesome. Yeah, I'm sure that the women who listen to this will have their notepads ready and got lots of great tips. So thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all of your wisdom with everybody. You're welcome. Thank you, Michelle, for having me. Of course. Talk soon.